It's Thursday. Let's go. Welcome to Thirsty Thursday. My name is Matt. Sometimes I go by the grass factor. Barton, alongside me, we've got Mr. Ray Ito. Uh, we are pouring out a cold one right now for DeMay. DeMay is still uh, down under. And uh, so everybody uh, needs to uh, uh, keep keep him in your thoughts as he's uh, out out here grinding, as uh, DJ Khaled and Boosie said uh, one time in a song. Um, but and you know, I mean, it's it's the season. It is the season, and anybody that works in lawn care around lawn care uh, knows exactly what that entails. And sometimes you just gotta get shit done, and it sucks, and it puts you in a really really fucking shitty place because you may feel bad. You may uh, you you I, cat bird feeder. I see you in there. You. I'm so glad to see your name, and I'm so sorry for dropping the bad words immediately from the from the get go. Uh, I anyway, it's great to see your name, Cat Birdfeeder. It's one of my favorite ladies in Mississippi, hanging out again. Um, and so anyway, it's that it's that time of year where it's 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 a uh, 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 hump it and get it type deal, and uh, and he's out there having to get it. And man, it, it is it is brutal. It is brutal. So uh, everybody keep keep demanding your thoughts as he's out there doing. The worst of the worst to uh, to survive, and uh, but don't ever forget what he's actually contributing not to the community, what he's contributing to the industry as a whole. Um, again, that's why I have Ray and Ryan on this show, is because those are guys that are actively contributing not to the community alone, but to the industry as a whole. And uh, and for anybody that knows me and my passion for this industry. Uh, understands uh, hopefully that that makes a little bit more sense why they're here and uh, why everyone that's that's listening or does hear this should pay incredibly close attention uh, to what they say because uh, these are these are not guys that are just going to go away quietly they're going to be here for a long time and they're going to be looked at for a long time and they're going to be studied for a long time so there we are speaking of studying for a long period of time we have a gentleman who has dedicated um i'm i'm gonna say uh, uh, nonstop out of, out of 40 years, uh, 35 of them have been as a student and, uh, and not, not just any student, but, um, a student of arithmetic, a student of, um, uh, science, uh, a student of, of language and, uh, and a student of the practice of medicine. We have our absolute most requested repeat guest ever uh our favorite doctor <laughs> dr ear nose and turf sir how the hell are you doing i'm doing well how are you good yeah I, man your microphone is so crispy you sound so good you sound so yeah. good i got the gain right it's, now oh man it is just <laughs> oh you're speaking into the right side of it and then man it t- tickles me on the it sounds great it sounds great it does, Jake. Doesn't it? Oh, yeah God. yeah best purchase you guys semi-forced me into so well there's <laughs> the things you forced us into at the uh at the live show last year and so i'm glad we can yeah the favor <laughs> in some form or fashion uh, uh, but don't worry that's what i'm here for i'm i'm here to look out for you and i'll i'll it's, that's not for this show uh <laughs> dr jake thanks thanks for joining us um how are you doing How's how's life? How is everything? Good, you know, uh, busy. I mean, I feel like it, work has been a little bit less busy, but uh, being a dad is getting busier. So yep. life is getting just, you know, burnt from every end of the candle. 
but I, uh, I'm glad that the weather is warm. The grass is growing. Um, yeah. because that took a long time. This winter was rough. Um, it was nothing. Y'all had, had some serious, uh, cold weather events and snow events. If I recall correctly, or did I make that part up? Uh, you know, I mean, up here, it's just sort of notoriously bad winters, but this winter really wasn't that bad. Um, we did get good snow cover, um, to keep things nice and warm, but it actually got cold before, um, the snow cover came on. So the snow mold actually wasn't as bad. And that's what I attributed it to is that it got cold enough before the snow cover came. Um, that is an interesting theory. Uh, Bray, do you know anything of that uh, from a, a research perspective of getting a hard, deep freeze prior to snowpack uh, in, inhibiting or okay. slowing development? Matt, physiologically, snow? what happens is that that hard freeze throws the grass into dormancy before that snow cover comes and... That also serves to harden off the leaf tissues, et cetera, of the grass, so that the leaf tissue of the grass is no longer succulent. It's already dormant. It's no longer active. The grass is basically biologically in, dormant, in full dormancy versus if it's not dormant and your grass is covered by that wet snow, then can anybody see the problem with that? You know, it's a matter For of, sure. you know, putting the grass into dormancy before that snow cover hits, because my understanding of snow is that that is just rain that has been kept frozen as it falls out of the sky. That's all snow is. Yeah, yep. so, so <laughs> and, you know, the thing is, that you, it can snow and stick at 28 degrees. And if, you, if you've if you got, you know, four inches of snow provided, providing mm -hmm. insulation, doesn't mean you're going to have frozen soil. Uh, and that no. doesn't mean that you're going to have enough uh, a, a fracturing of the... Um, uh, the water in the leaf tissue to to send it into into total dormancy, right? And you know, right. That that big yeah, thing of absolutely. dormancy is, you know, that freeze is going to shred, um, uh, shred. You know, effectively just destroy the tissue within the leaf, and then you know, you can you can kind of party on Garth from there, uh, but until then, <laughs> you know, you're dealing with a living, breathing plant. So hmm. mm -hmm. that is uh, that is interesting. But go on, you're you're yeah. You survived snow mold. Yeah, Spring I mean, green up was golden. Was great. Yeah, mm. it was good. Mm. It was a lot better than last year. Last year we had just a a really late spring. Um, I remember like my magnolia tree didn't bloom until like May, like uh, like yeah, middle middle of May or something like that, and it usually is blooming in April. Um. Yeah, that was that was a green up. So Look at everywhere that. else was dorm, dormant, but it uh, it was looking good early on. So that I attributed to 
Um, you know, we had a lot of like early April warm days. Um, and it was still pretty like dry. So even though I think it wasn't warm enough that anybody else was watering the yard, I was putting some water on it. I was keeping an eye on the ET and, uh, giving it just a little nudge of, uh, of fertilizer. So, um, and then a big old nudge uh, a little bit later that cost me, cost me some with some max or G and a old Scott's mini, um, left some, some lines in the yard that are still there like three months later. I don't know what, you know, magic you have in there, Matt, but like there is one spot in particular with the line still there like three months later. Um, so, you know, you know never that, stop that making is, mistakes. It's made to be slow release, right? And it's um, the, the, the way, the way I do it is a, it's a, it's a polymerization reaction during the granulation process. And it's a really fancy way of saying, that uh, it's an acid-base reaction between ammonium sulfate and methylene urea, right? And, uh, and so you get this polymerization of ammonium sulfate that occurs. And, uh, and, and anyway, it, it effectively does make it quite slow release. Uh, and you can kind of manipulate the length of the release based on uh, the, the length of the reaction, the, the pH that you use, um, and in, in terms of granulation, so we're talking about rotational speed of, of, the, uh, of the granulator, how hot you get it when you dry it. Um, all these are going to have an influence on it, right? And typically for a, a, uh, a, a lawn care type product like that and, you know, the, the, the markets that that gets produced for is going to be, you know, volume lawn care for guys that need 60 days between applications. Uh, as a as a buffer because they may not be able to get out there you know so it's it's important to have something that's going to be uh pretty predictable in the release anyway that's why that product is so hanging on like that because it's designed to be <laughs> quite quite slow in the uh, on the on the back end of the release there so um, well you know what anyway, it helped I me apologize te- for that <laughs> it's my fault because i mean if i had actually spread it if I had actually calibrated my spreader or used the spreader well, that I normally use, I, I was just like, on a, um, the, my other one's dirty. I, I've got this one. It's light. It's easy. Let me just chuck some fertilizer <laughs> in there, you know, and guess what? It, you know, I'm a pro now. Like, I don't need to go in seven different directions on the lowest setting. Like, I got this. Let me just do one pass. Send it. <laughs> Send it. Right. <laughs> and then uh-huh. I was like, why did I do this? Mm-hmm. But what it did show me. It was like, I was so worried for a while because as Ray likes to say, I live on a mountain. Um, my slope is bad. <laughs> and uh, I was thinking like, you know, is all this granular that I'm putting down, just like washing down and those lines are still there. So that is today. That was the, like two hours ago. Oh. Um, that's how oh. things are looking now. Yeah. yeah. At best time of year. We call that a 10 uh it's 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 hard not to call it that that's absolutely beautiful as a matter of fact thank you Um, that's nice uh, yeah even there look at that your your drainage swale is looking really good it is it is like Mm -hmm. that that little area right there in the corner by the magnolia is just all sedge Mm -hmm. but i'm i'm trying to debate whether i go the matt mount matt martin route or the ryan de may route 
which is fight it or fuck it. And right now <laughs> I'm in fuck it mode because I, I gave it, uh, yeah, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I gave it the, the May death mix in the fall. And I mean, it just came back stronger in the spring. <laughs> uh, like what is, what is the yellow flowered shrub off your uh, deck there? Zarosa. Okay. Ooh, yeah. nice. Nice. Yeah, they're just blooming just now. See those often. Gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah, I've been planting a lot in the landscape. I've been doing a lot more in the landscape now that I've got the grass established. And I'm not like still in the growing period. It's really like, it's so interesting how much every year it changes. You know, like last year was all about just sort of getting things stable and getting it grown in. And now I feel like I'm more in maintenance mode and like perfection. Like, let's get things looking the way I really want it to. So, um, you know, and what I've been trying to do is, is just be methodical about it, make a decision try to stick to it and write it down, you know, so that way I'm at least, you know, take an inventory of the things that I'm doing so I can figure out what did I do wrong? You know, what is maybe causing the problem here? Cause if you throw everything in the kitchen sink at it, you're just like, I don't know. So. You, that is such an important thing. Look, there's, there's something all about, FAFO that is fun and uh and 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 gets you excited and keeps you engaged. But there's a methodology that you can employ there that you can generate good data to help you make better decisions in the future, right? And limiting the number of inputs that you apply at one time is an easy way to do that because you can get real-time feedback. You can log the day that you do it, what the temperature is, what the conditions are. And in, in the pro applicator world, we're used to that because those are the things we have to log when we make an application to a property, right? Note the time that we're there, the temperature, the wind speed. And, uh, and, and so it's, 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 it becomes kind of secondhand, right? And then also in pro lawn care, we typically don't have the budget to mix five, six, seven, eight, nine things into a tank and make an application too, right? So if you, if you take a 10-year career uh, uh, trying things along the way, you tend to build up a little bit of a, a knowledge bank there just from trial and error and, and just sheer amount of time that you spend on these properties. Um, and I think a lot of times that gets looked over uh, in, the, in the homeowner market. One is because everything gets pitched at you from a hundred different directions, right? You turn on YouTube, there's something new going on. There's something new to try. Oh, I want to try this. I want to try that. Someone's exactly. doing that. Oh, I wonder if that'll work for me. Oh, I'm from New York. I, I want to try that, that too, right? So all of these things get really exciting and overwhelming. And you're like, man, I was, I, I, but I've got it. I ordered it. It's here. It's in the garage. I'm just going to throw it in the tank and do it anyway. And then when you start trying to unpack, like, what was it that actually gave me those results? You can't say, right? And I, 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 pick, I pick on humic just because it's easy, not because of any any kind of like deep seated i don't i don't have negative dreams about humic acid i really don't um i'm sure i'll be accused of it but uh, i i really don't the uh, leave your comments in the comments below about what my true intentions are with uh with humic acid please tell me how i feel about it um but a, a lot of the a lot of the comments i get about it is is that you know oh humic acid changed my soil in this way 
and then if you if you actually pull or extract uh, what what went on on the property, it's like what all was in your humic acid applications? Well, I applied humic acid. I applied micronutrients. I applied a wetting agent. I applied some nitrogen. I applied three forms of nitrogen. And, uh, and then a week later I repeated it again. And then a week later I did a different derivative of humic acid. And then I did a humic acid and a kelp. And then I repeated it with NP and K and micronutrients again. They're like, okay, what was the time period that you did that? A month. Okay. So are you sure the humic acid is what generated the results that you see there? And, uh, and, and of, of course not, no one can quantify that because it was just, it's too many, too many inputs to account for. Right. Um, one of the, the things too, that I would encourage you if there, if there is something you want to try, and I've seen Evie do this this year is, uh, is an easy thing to do is take an Amazon box of something you've ordered, cut it up into a square and it can be two foot by one foot, lay it down, make an application. And then, you know, a week later, pick it up and look at it and see what happened. And, I, and I, I'm not saying that's something you want to you know, do this year, but in the future, if you come across something that you get really excited about and want to try, I encourage not just you, but anybody listening right now, try that. Em- employ that you, method you know, to be able to test see. plot. It's just like, uh, or check plot rather, like it just, it, in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to get that piece of card. I've got like a thousand boxes in my freaking garage right now. My wife oh, orders all. more things than any human being ever needs. So I've got a lot of boxes. I could use one of them and just put it down. But I find my biggest problem is goes back to the perfectionism. I'm like, well, where am I going to put it? Cause I don't want somebody to see that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I'm like, it, you know, I got to find like a little corner that I'm like, uh, and then I, by that point I'm, I've already, you know, applied something. And I'm like, oh shit. Well, next time I'm, I'm going to, I'll do it next time. You're still also, three years away of having orange irrigation flags set up in your front yard <laughs> and backyard with 18 different. Look where Brian Nor is right now, right? Like, I know. You're, you're, yeah. you're, you're trending a certain direction. It's okay. You get there. <laughs> okay. Jake, I got to tell you that for me, it's real easy because there's often border areas and boundaries and perimeters that I need to stay away from. So, Chances are I always have like a one or two foot area somewhere where I can't apply, right? And that right. becomes natural my, check plot. My natural check plot because I can compare. Okay, I applied here, but I couldn't apply here. What's the difference? And that comes in handy when there's any question because then I can yank people by their ear and say you see right next to your neighbor's property how the grass doesn't quite look as good or there's a lot of weeds in it because i can't apply here and then you look at the rest of the lawn any questions next (laughs) (laughs) you know it's it's interesting because i that reminded me of a question i wanted to ask you guys because i I saw I, i was thinking about doing a check plot for the wedding agent um, that I started using. Um, and I saw in one of the studies that they were like separating each of the plots by like a certain amount of feet or something like that, because I guess in theory, like it's going to move laterally. So yes. how would you do yes. a check plot with a wedding agent? Exactly. That. I would probably, I would probably give it several feet knowing that water 
for a lot of materials in the soil now, my understanding is that they go down, and when they go down, they also go sideways. So being aware of that, I would say, okay, I'm going to leave myself like a, oh, say a five foot by five foot, you know, untreated area somewhere and then see what happens. I mean, if that square is no different from your treated area, then there's your answer, right? There's right. your answer. <laughs> so right. this, this is one of the greatest, simplest forms to test. Um, uh, you, you, can't, you can't read that. No, let, me, let me pull one out. To test the surfactant qualities of any kind of surfactant you run. These are oh, those guys, yeah, peat pellets, okay, and mm-hmm. peat pellets. Peat Seeds is trays, hydrophobic, yeah. right? This is hydrophobic. Mm-hmm. Hydrophobic meaning repels water. You can take uh, your your spray, right? Uh, a spray into a cup of water, add a, a little bit of uh, water to it, drop your peat pellet in it, and watch the length of time it takes. The other thing you can do is uh. Magic sand, a little kinetic sand. This is a hydrophobic material. Uh, you can take your solution with an eyedropper out of your uh, dilution in your backpack and, uh, and drop it on your kinetic sand and see if it uh, 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 penetrates your, your magic sand, right? Because this is hydrophobic. Um, and then you can do the same thing with, with different wetting agents, right? You can compare it to... Uh, generalized household soap, if you want to, because he, here's here's the other thing that you have to keep in mind. Keep in mind with a wetting agent is a wetting agent does not contain any M P and K, right? It it's it's improving or manipulating infiltration of water. So that in and of itself, in all likelihood, is not going to generate a uh, a, a color response, right? So. Um, using a check plot, if you're not able to measure infiltration rates of water, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be difficult to look at. Now, if you flip all your irrigation off and you know you're about to go into, you know, it's been two weeks without rain, you're, you're getting uh, 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 testicles deep into a dry period, you want to make your application, irrigate one more time, and then watch how long it takes to show signs of drought stress. That would be an effective tool, right? You can use that. But you're really relying on the timing there. And that, that can be difficult because you got to have accurate forecasts and all that fun stuff. So as a general rule of thumb, a very simple test, right? Use something that is hydrophobic and, and measure uh, time-wise the length of time it takes to either infiltrate that hydrophobic material or expand it uh, and then compare it to other things that have that same effect. Rate, you know, keep keeping your rates similar across them, right? So, yeah. anyway, as as a, a simple tabletop yeah. test that you can do. In these That's days. great. I, honestly, I had like a ton of um, wedding agent questions I, I wanted to ask you, and then you did the burn and return, like what two weeks ago or something like that, where you talked about the wedding agents and basically answered all my questions. So, 
Um, <laughs> you know, I'm yeah. I'm not the most versed on it. That that gets into a weird world of chemistry when you're talking about hydrophilic tails on the on the end of the molecule, uh, different types of reactions to get that, and uh, it, there's there's a lot of different AIs that are showing up in it. And I will say, like my my prediction on the market right now is that we will see more innovation in uh, wedding agents and pigments over the next 10 years than we will probably anything else. Um, I think there's a lot of, of R&D that's, I, th- I think there's a lot of R&D in that space going on right now. I sure should am not doing it. I'll be 100% transparent. I'm not. But I know a lot of people that are working in that space. The other one is uh, uh, nematodes. There is a shit ton of eyes on nematode work going on right now as well, too. And uh, it's not it's not big money, but it's definitely AIs that have not been used to date that are that are a- attempting to you know generate some good data to be able to to bring them to market. So, um, it, anyway, that's again i'm not super versed in this yeah. because it, it's, well my it's a like question world of chemistry i don't know yeah i i found like i wish i could, could remember exactly where i found it if i had it there was a nice document that went through different types of wedding agents like what's the difference between anionic ionic what's the difference between a block copolymer an alkyl polyol like and the reason i i got into this besides the fact that i'm a nerd is that on Greenkeeper, which I've been using and trying to be really diligent about, uh, they have a bunch of like a ton of these preloaded um, products that you can enter in. And it has like all the information already there. So you don't have to enter it. You can also put in stuff that they don't have. Um, so like I was looking for uh, a wedding agent that was similar to Soaker because that's what I'm using. And I wanted to see if, okay, what's the closest thing to this? And so I went on this deep dive and trying to find something. And what's the difference right. between different, you know? Yeah. And um, I'll, I'll be transparent on how I do that. And, you know, this is one of those career suicide things you do that they just don't really give a shit. Uh, all I do is I get different wedding agents and then I cold blend them together. Right. Um, and so I use, uh, a, a block polymer from, from Kalo who does tournament ready and it's, it's from that line. Uh, and then I do two of Mitchell's, uh, products, um, uh, mostly Tricure and a little bit of the, um, uh, Terra firm. And then I add a little bit of the, uh, the 25B exempt, uh, acid to it as well too. Uh, and that, that stabilization from the, from the acid also contains a a 25b exempt it's most similar to a nonalphenol uh which would would be more in the lines of i guess you could call that a surfactant of sorts uh it's not an actual nonalphenol but it is it's a 25b exempt version of a uh, function of a nonalphenol uh and it, not really playing a whole lot into the into the ai of it but if you want to look those three up you'll see three wildly different ais right but it's just trying to take Exactly like you see. I've got this type. I've got that type. I got that type. Taking them and combining them and being like, because I, I don't, I don't fucking know what's going to do the best. So I know those yeah. three all have great reputations, right? And uh, and yeah. I pinged the idea off um, uh, of, of my ment- my industry mentor, um, product development mentor, and uh, and he's like, yeah, uh, that that is 
that is good. I, I would apply that. And uh, one of the things he told me to be careful about is, is terra firm uh, in general, uh, because uh, we've run into some issues with uh, applying it to greens at at uh, at label rate in combination with something to uh, hit hit carbonates that that get built up in greens from from water, uh, and then you end up flushing the carbonates so well plus the terra firm you can't get the sand wet again, and it's like it's just everything sheds through it so quickly like you cannot you can't apply enough to 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 get it wet again, and I actually ended up getting real crispy out there for a while it was it was a nightmare. So too much percolation. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I, I don't know if it's just the structure of those greens or what. I, I don't know what about the chemistry would make that happen. You know, that actually sort of randomly was thinking about um, percolation through like uh, sand caps. Um, you know, you guys have talked a lot about in the past uh especially referencing like soil water movement, that old video on YouTube that's from like 1962 or whatever. Um, great video. But what I was curious about, I don't think we've touched on this before is how does the water movement on a slope in a sand cap change? Is, are, are things moving in the sand profile down the slope before they're moving into the, the clay? To a degree, yes, but you, you've got to think the clay is still going to have a monumental amount of capillary action going on too, right? Uh, so I, I think the rate, sand cap on clay on a slope, yes, will require more effort at the top of the hill to allow infiltration of that clay. I, I firmly believe that, and I'm going just logically thinking about it. I could be wrong, uh, but logically dedu- deducing that, yes, the top of the hill would be the hardest to get the water to infiltrate into the clay. But as you work your way down, it would gradually increase uh, as it's catching more of the runoff, right? So you're effectively getting a higher degree of water at your, you know, at at the halfway point down the hill, you're getting, you know, we'll, you know, this is an arbitrary number. We'll say 25% more time exposed to water. And then at the bottom of the hill, you're getting 100% more time exposed to water because what started here has worked its way down. But the clay does still have immense capillary action. And, uh, and, and so, yes, you still can infiltrate there. It's just not going to be to the degree that it will be as you – Go down in altitude, down the slope. Why not? Yeah. Out. Yeah. So, yeah, that's uh, okay. And that is where, for example, I know what I've done is selectively apply wetting agents at the tops, the top third of grades, if that makes sense. And why is it yeah. top third? That is where. I want and need that water to go into the soil profile preferentially versus, say, the bottom two-thirds of the grade because gravity takes care of that problem, whereas at the 
top third of that grade, I have a problem. Because if left to its own devices, water would preferentially go down to the final two-thirds and leave the upper third literally high and dry. <laughs> <laughs> that must be where it comes <laughs> from, that saying. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. No, so, I mean, I, I find the same thing. Like, I, I think I, the reason I, I thought of it uh, was partially just what I'm seeing in my own yard is mm-hmm. the, the localized dry spot happening at sort of the top um, mm-hmm. Or, mm-hmm. Or, or, you know, closer, yeah, closer to the top end of the slope. It doesn't mean that there aren't top, dry spots, third, you know, lower, lower down, down as well, but um, it certainly seems to be more of a problem area. Um, before I get into any more nitty gritty questions, though, I do want to say, like, your Thirsty Thursday with Dr. Shaddix was probably, like, the biggest aha moment for me like <laughs> what am i doing uh, like simplify this the pyramid that he brought up um mm-hmm. where looking at really what's stressing out turf and i was realizing that i'm like i'm thinking about like you know is such minute detail based on some study that you know is, is done in, in greens and bent grass you know like and I'm not even irrigating close to, you know, 50% of ET, <laughs> you know? Right, like, right, right. Why am I even thinking about wedding agents if I haven't started watering enough? Um, you know, And so you know? the majority of my, <laughs> what I've done this past year is like focus on that pyramid, you know? Water, I think, probably being the number one thing that I was mismanaging Mostly because I like I don't have an in-ground irrigation system and it's tough. Um, mm-hmm. But like uh, realizing how how I need to prioritize things, and, and that was just a great structure to to prioritize. You know, like I naturally am thinking about okay, well, sand cap on a slope, like the the minutia of those details. But like I don't, I'm not even watering it, so um, who cares, yeah. <laughs> right? So, you know, that, that is the, you know, what Dr. Shaddock said about that pyramid is basically my professional approach. And that is where I tell people, no, you don't need more goddamn compost. No, you don't need your lawn mowed more often. You need to deal with lack of light. You need to deal with water issues first. Everything else is peripheral. Right. You know, that, and the and, whole and light thing, I mean, I think we've talked about this before <laughs> on Zooms and stuff, mm-hmm. is that like um, realizing how much of the property like does, does not need to grow grass. Like I, I started mm-hmm. out with 10,000 square feet of grass now I have about 7,000 because I've mm-hmm. taken out so many areas. I mean, a lot of it's been landscaping that I just wanted to put in, but taking out a lot of areas that are just like, this is not, you're not meant to grow grass in a hundred percent shade on the North side yeah, of the house, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. You start to think, uh, and this is what I know what I tell people is, would you rather have some nice foliage plants or would you rather look at mud and junky grass i mean which do you want and nine times out of ten 
the light bulb goes off and they said, hey, I want the plants. I want the greenery because I don't want to have to keep on resodding the same thing only to have it die every year. Right? Right. I mean, it, it, comes, it comes down to ask yourself, is this area meant to have grass? And, you know, the, the qualifier, of course, is, is this going to get enough sun? Yeah. Right? That's, that's the big question that you got to answer, <laughs> I think. Yeah. The, is it uh, huge? <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. No, I mean, it's just like it, we, it was almost a year ago now that we last had our Thirsty Thursday. So it flew by, but like, I feel like I, I've learned so much since then. And it's not the things that I was expecting to learn. It wasn't mm-hmm. learning, you know, the, the physiological processes that are causing X, Y, and Z. It was learning about how to simplify and how to just address the problems um, in, in a, a, a way that is prioritized, you know, mm-hmm. because if, mm-hmm. if you've got X amount of money, X amount of time and X amount of political capital with your wife, like <laughs> you, you, you got to pick and choose, right? <laughs> so, I, I mean, like some of the, go ahead. Yeah, I'm just going to say that is that is my career in a nutshell is having to de-learn what I learned to stop obsessing over shit that doesn't matter. Right. Let me, mm-hmm. let me ask you this. I don't know if it's a result of, hmm, uh, how do I, how do I put this? In reality, it all could just be my ego. Right. But from, from where I first got into the industry, right. Like it was, I, came out of the gates swinging way over complicating everything I did you know, of figuring out each physiological process that's taking place and tying it in to, to just incredible levels of detail. And then it took 10, 12 years of, of backing away from that and just starting at the most rudimentary level and then figuring out, it's like, am I, are these problems really that complex or is it the fact that I'm, overcomplicating something that isn't existing to try to will it into existence to make uh, a, a justified reason to use my education experience, so on and so forth. Right. And I, I want to ask, does the same thing happen in, in medical practice too, where when you, you know, it's, <laughs> you come out of the books, right. And it's like, okay, I'm crammed with all this, that that are books I'm now into the applied science aspect of it. And so it's you're constantly flipping through the Rolodex of the books, right? And then adding to that Rolodex of books. And then sometimes you have to catch yourself and be like, wait a second, hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm balls deep into the white papers. I need to chill out for a second and just put on a whiteboard what I'm actually dealing with here and just slow down for a second. A thousand percent. Sorry, I got I got a little distracted at the very end of that because Ryan Dan said, important question, has the recycling gone out? <laughs> and that's a little inside joke. <laughs> um, and the funny thing is, right before I walked up here, my wife said to me, you know, it's trash and recycling night. You get, you're going to have to bring it out. So I don't care if it's 11 o'clock when this ends, you have to, you have to bring it out. Um, anyways, <laughs> that's an aside. <laughs> um, Yes, 100%. And I think that was 
contributing when I was listening to the the podcast with Dr. Shaddix of that being the light bulb moment for me is like, it's exactly that. Um, yeah. Going from being a medical student to being a resident, um, you know, you're going to the application of everything that you've learned and you do have to throw out so much of the, like the book stuff because it just doesn't apply in real life. You know, they, they try their best to like, get you to understand the fundamentals so that way you can help make new conclusions and advance the science. But like when it comes to actual practice of medicine, like I don't really care whether or not you're using Flonase or Rhinocort, you know, they're two different types of steroids and you know, sure. I'm sure there is a, a longer, you know, residual on one or, you know, a, a higher potency on another or whatever, but it, it doesn't like that doesn't matter. Are you even taking the nose spray? Are you doing it? Like, <laughs> like, like why am I trying to consider experimental medications for this person if they're not even doing like the, just the basics. And that's when I translated that to to grass was like, Oh, you know, who cares about these small studies that are showing whatever on something that isn't really all that applicable, generalizable to my situation when I'm, when I'm not even doing the fundamentals, you know? Um, and a lot of that is also just sort of checking your own ego and, and saying, Oh yeah, no, I've been watering. I've been, you know, I don't, I don't know why it's not working. I've been watering and I'm like, well, you know, have you been watering? have like how long did the the sprinkler actually stay on were you getting good coverage like did, did you see any dry spots like uh and, and so yeah. i i think now it's just a matter of like okay keep it simple stupid thanks jaylee and it's uh it's twisted tea obviously um and 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 just go into that and i think water being the biggest thing um and, and making things less cumbersome. So that way I do them. I actually can do it. Um, so one of the things that I think Ray, uh, I think it, 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 part <laughs> of it came from the last time we were on, um, on Thursday, Thursday, the may said, said something about like, Oh, you know what? Uh, one of the simple things you could do is like put in a main line and just have like a hose that, you know, with some quick connects that go to that. And, that's fine. And, you know, you just you know, put that main line in. And then I was like, yeah, you know, that sounds like a great idea. And then like the next day or so, I was like, I don't even know what the fuck a main line is. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, because the, you see RD is talking about like how he deals with sports fields. And of course I have a similar experience when I deal with these lawns and landscapes where I've got a fat cat sitting on a three quarter or half acre property and they've got about, you know, 10,000, you know, 10,000 square feet of landscaping. And you better believe it, that there is a main line and you better freaking believe it, that if I'm on the property managing their lawn and landscape, I am damned well going to have tap-ins where I can put my hose on that main line 
anywhere in the property. I mean, that's just ain't negotiable for me. I mean, that's just how how it is. It because what yeah. I think you've come to realize is how important water in the right amounts and the right times is to the lawn. That is like you don't have water, you haven't got anything because I still remember. Oh, this was about Matt back in I believe uh, 1994. My then boss pulled me aside and he told me something that stuck in my head to this day. He told me, Ray, if you have water, you can make a landscape do anything. If you don't have the water, you can't get it to do anything. Game over. Yeah. What well, you know, yeah. and and just learning, you know, like you don't know what you don't know, right? Until all of a sudden you're like, you have a task you've got to achieve. And uh, I essentially I took what his idea was. I simplified a little bit more because I, I was like, I'm not digging anything manually. <laughs> after all the digging I've done. Um, but what I did do was what I, I took a look at, I think it was like maybe the zoom after one or two mm -hmm. after. And I, I think I, Jamie told me, I was like, I don't even know what, like, I don't know where my water meter is. <laughs> like there's something that comes Ooh. into my house, like, you know, on the side and it's got like, you know, little numbers on it, but I don't think that's the water. And he's like, no, that's. That's the gas. It's like your your water meter's down <laughs> in the basement, and like, and then uh, you know, realizing that I had like a a, a pressure regulator on there, and not only mm -hmm. that the pressure regulator was on there, but it was before my water meter, and so if I wanted to tap into um, my service line, I couldn't do it without switching those around because I was going to get so much. Um, flow and pressure loss just from the pressure regulator. Um, mm -hmm. And so that is exactly what I ended up doing after being convinced by uh, Ray and Chaley on Zoom that I could do it. I think Leshy also pushed me along. Um, shout out to all the people who are in Zooms and deal with my <laughs> shenanigans. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I put in a, you know, a three quarter inch um, PVC basically just new host bait that was it with a, a ball valve on it i tapped in um right after before the water meter before the, regulator. before the regulator and i went from like four to five gallons per minute out of the host bigot to 16 um and that's what that i'm makes, talking about jake that's yeah what i'm talking about <laughs> right it there. makes a big friggin' difference especially with like the idea of like these tasks can be cumbersome when you're do you're putting in the sweat equity like I am. Like we're all yeah, excited about it. We're, we all want to do this, but if you're not setting yourself up for success by making it easy for yourself, like mm -hmm. you're gonna you're gonna stop watering the dry spots. Okay, because Jake, you know, if I have a ten to twenty gallon per minute water line available. It is no big deal for me to hand water up to a half acre of grass 
and get it done in about an hour. It's no big deal for me. Not a problem. But if you tell me I have to hose water and I've got four or five gallons per minute and there's only like 40 PSI, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be here for a while. <laughs> yeah. Right? I'm going to be yeah. here for a while. Yeah, when you do the math, uh, <laughs> you know, we were talking earlier on the pre-show about doing math, but and how I'm not very good at it. But one of those equations that I've been using a lot is the precipit mm-hmm. uh, precipitation rate equation. It really helps me yeah. actually dial in. So it's like 96.8 times your gallons per minute uh, divided mm-hmm. by the square feet that it covers. And like realizing that I can with now, like essentially I've got the, um, the underhill. Um, rainbow nozzle watering nozzle and the watering nozzle yeah (laughs) which for me i tested out is about 13 gallons per minute um that i'm getting out of it like i can water all of my the dry spots 15 minutes you know and put put down a substantial amount of water on them um Mm -hmm. and that makes it makes me go okay i can take 15 minutes out of my day every day Mm -hmm. to check the water the the dry spots and Throw a little water on them, and it's actually going to make a yeah, difference. Get it done. Get it yeah. done, right? Yeah. 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 Whereas, if you thought to yourself, "Okay, if I start watering because of my lack of water volume and water pressure, this is going to turn into a two or three hour job. Easy. That's going to make you not want to even start it because you you know what you're in for, right? Exactly, and you know. There's there's also so much to learn that I that I did learn somewhat about how much more important flow is. Um, people all talk about their water pressure and like, oh, your water pressure is high. But guess what? You put your thumb at the end of a hose, you get more pressure differential and mm-hmm. you got more pressure. Right. But yeah. it's not changing how much yeah. it's not putting more flow out, right? Like you're not putting more water out and um, really seeing where like, okay, what are the main, um, the main restrictions to flow? And this mm-hmm. is something you and I talked mm-hmm. about, Ray. Yes. Um, yeah. the, that, uh, the gate valve. So everybody's little uh, um, hose spigots where they're turning it, you know, mm-hmm. you've you got a teeny tiny little opening at the end of it. You're going to lose you're going to lose flow, like a ton of flow. Um, mm-hmm. You've got a, a tiny, one of the biggest things, why I tapped in earlier is what you said to me was about like my house running through with half inch copper pipe and it's going through all these half inch copper pipes. And then it's going to this tiny little outflow, like uh, a spigot. And I've mm-hmm. got nothing, you know, that, that was four gallons per minute versus the 16 I could have had. Yes, yes. I mean, that that is uh, a lesson that you got to say that louder for the people in the back of the room. (laughs) When I'm talking about irrigation and watering, I don't care about somebody's pressure. What I'm interested in is volume of water they have available, and then second... When they're drawing that volume of water, what is their end 
pressure because right. if somebody tells me, for example, I'm getting 16 gallons per minute and I'm maintaining like 50 PSI, I call that an A-plus plumbing system. But if they tell me I've got four gallon per minute and my pressure has dropped to like 20 PSI, uh, that's time for a rework right there. Yeah, there's something because there, you, you know, something's yeah, restricted it. Yeah, you're going to be have a limitation as far as being able to effectively hand water your your turf area if that's the restriction that you're facing because here's another number that I know did I throw this number out at you I said that in order to put down about an inch of water per 1000 square foot you're looking at approximately 600 gallons of water period right. per 1000 square foot per inch of water that you want and so what is 600 divided by 4. 150. 150. And 150 is two plus hours of you standing out there with the water hose trying to get that water on those dry spots. <laughs> right. I mean, you're a doctor. Exactly. You ain't got time for that. <laughs> you honestly. <laughs> I got a wife and a kid, but I don't have time for that. <laughs> you got a yeah, you've got a wife and children and a doggy and just thinking about you're, it. You're a doctor, so you ain't got time for that stuff. So you know, congratulations. Make it, make to it easy you. for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. For getting that tap in before that pressure regulator. Because even have you tested your water pressure? For that pressure regulator. Yeah, it's at 80. Static at pressure, 80. yeah. Static, okay. Yeah. Because I can tell you right now that if you have 80 PSI in an irrigation type line, that is not dangerous. Okay? You are not going to blow up hoses or destroy sprinkler heads or do anything like that i mean 80 is perfectly reasonable that's not yeah. dangerous at all yeah there's still something yeah. that may be like re restricting some things because like um I, like like i said I'm, I'm not getting that full uh, i'm not getting the adequate pressure on uh i, I put a little pressure um gauge and tested the uh that nozzle, the underhill nozzle. Um, I'm not getting their recommended pressure, and that's why I'm also not getting their the the flow that it, it's supposed to be 15 gallons per minute. Um, I think I'm, it might be because I've got a five eighth inch um, water meter, so I've got early restriction there. And not but, and not only that, you also have to think about your water hose itself because you know these underhill nozzles they're all intended for the one inch diameter golf course style hoses they were never intended for a consumer to throw that on a five eighths or even a three quarter inch 
normal garden hose. I mean, yeah, underhill stuff is intended for that fat one inch uh, golf course water hose. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was funny because I, I was thinking the same thing because I have a three quarter inch underhill Proline G, which, by the way, favorite hose, mm. love it. <laughs> um, but so I tested it the the nozzle straight actually out of the um, the ball valve right right there. Mm-hmm. So, um, and it was a, I mean, it was a little bit better, but not like a ton worse. Um, so, um, I was thinking that maybe it's it's something you know upstream um, that's potentially doing it because um, it doesn't really make sense to drop your water pressure from static of eighty psi down to. Okay. What it was like. I can also t- like I can also tell you that draw limit on a five eighths inch water meter. You have hit the draw limit on your five eighths water meter, because yeah. if you wanted more water volume, you'd be looking at a one inch, maybe at a one yeah. inch meter. I mean, I I literally know people where they have about. They actually have a, a one-inch water meter. Yeah. But 5 eighths. I'm one-inch here. The deal with a 5 eighths-inch water meter is that there's a pressure-to-volume curve that you hit where right. once you exceed so many gallons per minute, you then start to experience a pressure loss. Right. Yeah. And I think uh, I was looking at the charts that, that are on, um, I think it's the Rainbird irrigation. irrigation design Rainbird. manual. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so That's phenomenal, like was re- referencing that like a ton um, to try to figure out where those restrictions were. And yeah, I think at, you know, at like 12 or 13 is when it starts to get big pressure losses. So Yes. But do you just yes. do you just call like the your water authority and just ask them? Can I get a bigger meter? Like, like you, I don't even. You can, you can, and then what they'll do to wow. you is they'll normally then if they approve the request, you normally pay for it. If they approve the request, and. Gotcha. It depends because I know for a lot of people, like in my state, they're essentially grandfathered in as far as their water meter goes. Because I'm pretty sure that Hawaii, if up to them, they'd give everybody a 5 eighths inch or smaller water meter to discourage water use. Right. Yeah, I, I don't even think so, I can buy a freaking gas stove in my state at this point. Um, I doubt that they're going to want me to put more water on <laughs> uh, my lawn, you know, especially yeah, yeah, when yeah. it's it's apparently like the worst plant ever. So it's destroying the environment. Um, yeah, yeah. Grass is the worst plant ever. Home. And, and Jake, uh, my fried pork chop last night is going to kill me. Not because of the pork chop, but because of the gas stove. There. Exactly. <laughs> I said it. Exactly. 
<laughs> See, that's what uh, that's like one of the worst effects of people overcomplicating things is like, keep it simple, stupid. Like we know what's killing you. <laughs> and it's not these yeah. little teeny tiny bits of potential increase of, of asthma rates or whatever you it's found. It's not the seed oil. Innocent. Put down the fucking Twinkies. Do you hear me? <laughs> Start with the Twinkies. <laughs> then worry about the seed yes. oils. Yeah, yeah. Put, uh, put down the Twinkies. Uh, put down the uh, the bag of cookies. Uh, and for fudge's sake, start drinking more water instead of soda. There, yeah. I said my piece. <laughs> and quit snorting the shit on top of the bathroom stall. Oh, wait, that's, a, that's an SEC school thing. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I have no idea. Where, where? <laughs> Uh, all right, it's uh, we're rolling into ten o'clock here. So before we, it's magically uh, ten thirty. I wanted to. Uh, uh, curious, do you have any other questions? We're, we're pretty, we're pretty balls deep on the on the water flow and pressure. I know, I, but I can talk I about water all day. Well, I don't, I don't want to leave you in a situation where you're like, oh fuck, I wish we could have covered that. Exactly. Thank you for for doing that. Yeah, I do have a ton mm-hmm. of questions. I think um, first and foremost, the thing that I don't know the most about is uh getting into a fungicide a program um if you want Mm. to i think maybe this is a good time to sort of uh get into the greenkeeper app and so you can see this is my honest applications like this is what i've been applying uh the some of the products like i said i've been putting as in as place holders so i do not have scimitar i do not have dispatch I, i have other products that are similar to those and um, mm-hmm. I've been using, um, you know, the, these things and trying to, to develop my program. And I feel like I've got, um, fertilizer down, um, working on, on water. Um, and, uh, PGR is the brand new thing that I'm introducing into all of this. Um, but one thing that I don't really, um, don't really know how to approach is, is fungus. And last year, my approach was see what you get, you know, what are you, what are you getting attacked with? Um, yes. And I, I know I always have powdery mildew, That's always a thing. Rust was a huge problem on my back lawn, um, which is mm-hmm. higher cut, not irrigated. And, um, was actually really low fertility last year because I didn't realize that the polycoat urea that I put down was being sucked up by my massport <laughs> Rotorola, and basically <laughs> was useless after the first first mow. Um, looked good for like you know a couple weeks, and then the rest of the season I had rust. Um, and then what else did I see? Dollar spot at the in the fall, um, and then this spring I had leaf spot um melting out um and so that's what i've just seen so far and and i know demay is not here to give his you know cool season spin on everything but what um let's let's start start with powdery mildew first we'll go through the ones that you experienced in in kind of that order so starting with powdery mildew um where are you getting it Now, not really getting it on the the turf. I'm getting it on landscape plants a lot, but okay. I was getting it on in the turf on um, 
the areas that were not getting a lot of um, air flow. That's where that was one of the things that we were talking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where light. I was like, look, light. airflow and light. Yeah, there was an area right light. along the side of the house that um, was mm-hmm. like locked in between the deck and, and the house. And it was just like this strip of four feet that would always get it. And I was just like, clearly, this is not an area that the grass wants to grow. I took it out and I put a flower bed in there. Yes. So, Perfect. Yes. I was going to say, because that's Perfect. more of a cultural issue than a chemical issue. Um, yeah. that's, mm-hmm. that's just the nature of it. Now, with with landscape plants, uh, there's lots of different chemical controls that you can go about this, but typically there's going to be an underlying issue there. Uh, Ray, when you're dealing with powdery mildew in uh, landscape plants, what are you inspecting for? Basically, what I'm looking for is I'm looking for airflow and light as well. And the other thing that I'm looking at, too, is how well do the plants dry out after getting water or irrigation or even rainfall? And I know one of my integrated pest management type things that I do is whenever possible, I get plants so that their irrigation or their watering is never on their leaves. It's always drip irrigation when possible. And I'm I'm laughing thing- to myself because I just that that was another aha moment right there. I realized like there's I have this one plant. Um, it is my tr- uh, trumpet honeysuckle uh, mm-hmm. vine, and it is just covered right now. And I was like, what the? Heck? Why is this one plant? And it is right in the line of one of my irrigation heads that it soaks it. Every once in a while, when it gets goes just a little, the wind goes just a little bit a little, farther. It goes a little over. Yeah, you see, I become that militant person where I start capping off people's pop-ups and risers, and I run through with, you know, poly pipe and the emitters, and the and all of the water is directed at the soil. I also take care to ensure that any lawn irrigation is not configured or designed to ever hit landscape plants. That is not okay with me. And the reason why it's not okay with me is because when that happens, then I start to get the calls about powdery mildew, leaf spot on plants, or rust on top of plants. And there's a final factor that I look at as well in that I start to look at are these landscape plants affected by these diseases also in too much shade? And if uh, they are in too much shade, is this excessive shade caused by a tree that needs to be thinned or limbed up? Right. I mean, I mean that's my, that's my question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with with yeah. powdery mildew, typically exposure to sunlight and letting it dry out, uh, heat is it's is going to be help. good in that regard too. Um, yeah. If you mm-hmm. if you need a rescue control, the conazols, uh, anything in a conazol zol family uh, is going to work fine. Uh, just watch your rates so you don't burn the foliage off. Uh, and then the um, 
uh, this is one that you could use Dacanil for a landscape plant or Mancozeb. Yeah. That okay, would actually, be effective for that. Actually, Matt, on powdery mildew, Dacanil works better. However, uh-huh. on rust diseases and leaf spots, then Mancozeb has the edge. But uh-huh. then here's how I've always dealt with uh, diseases on landscape plants is, uh, okay, a something like a DMI fungicide added to either the Mancozeb or the Dacanil, apply both together, not just the DMI fungicide. And the reasoning for that is that on even in landscape plants resistance to fungicides can become a very big issue and one of the tools for reducing that risk of resistance of course is multiple modes of action and including what's called a site-specific fungicide with a multi-site fungicide and the multi-site fungicides that a content you know that we both know and love are either mancozeb or chlorothalonil right. and you know that has been my i guess go-to's because like in my area a very popular landscape tree is affected by severe rust disease and the way i I deal with that is I go up into those trees with a combination of Mancozeb and Eagle. And I, I look like I know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. So the, you know, the, the, the big thing there is that in the turf grass, exactly like you did, uh, mm-hmm. probably getting rid of it because the conditions aren't favorable there. And uh, mm-hmm. so that is a win. Even on landscape plants, the majority of the time, powdery mildew can be controlled culturally rather than chemically. But if I take on a new project and it's out of control and I'm like, okay, I need to get a quick grip on it, I can reach for Dacanil plus a DMI and have at it and, and come away you know, looking like a hero. Now, rust disease, um, again, this is another one of these that 90, 80% of the time, at least in my experience, even on cool season grass, can be culturally controlled too. Typically, I convert it out, and it's not a big right. deal. Um, uh, that that being said, there have been occasional times that that I'm not going to convert it out. It's too extreme. You you walk through it, and your pants are orange. It's bad, mm-hmm. right? That's bad. Yeah. It's not good. Um, and so then now we're looking at chemical control options. Again, a DMI, another one of those that's going to be effective. Don't apply so, Dacanil uh, to your to your lawn, but you know if you're spraying your shrubs, sometimes it'll drift, and I I understand that <laughs> it happens. Uh, yeah, I've, I've seen it happen. I know, um, but uh, you know DMIs are going to be affected. That do you need so to with the DMI strobilurin in in that regard? Probably not. Yeah. Well, okay. You know, you say about DMI? With the DMI though, is I mean I have propaganzol. Um, but, uh, now that I've added the new, um, uh, new factor, new variable in the equation, it, it, 
with Anu. Um, I'm wondering about how you manage over-regulation or just, you know, do you change growing to degree day intervals? Do you, you know, the Greenkeeper app is good at, at, at also putting that stuff in together. But like, mm-hmm. let's say I didn't have the app. Like, how are you going to use a DMI and a Here's how, uh, growth regulator? Here's how I would look at it. To me, propiconazole is probably equivalent to an application of this other actual DMI PGR called paclobutrazole. It's similar duration of effect. Right. It's similar intensity of bluegrass don't I, go well together, right? I can't right? say I've ever seen propaganazole with the same intensity of paclo. But it's just the duration of effect. Sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah you see, and the thing about propiconazole is that from other people that have done it, they've told me that propiconazole can act like a growth regulator for at least 30 days. You stack that effect with your existing PGR app. Like, for example, say you unknowingly combined propiconazole and Tenex, for example. Yeah. Seen that on Instagram. Then we're talking about pretty profound, you know, growth regulation for a month. Your grass is gone to sleep for at least a month. Whereas here is something to consider. What's your preferred PGR right now, Jake? A new. Yeah, that's what I've been using. Okay, here's where you're good. As a PGR, the intensity of effect of a new ceilings much lower than Trinexapac. In other words, with a new, you have a lower risk of shutting the grass down to the point where there's an adverse effect. Well, I I put that to the test when I decided to go on my second application at the high rate um, Mm -hmm. recently, like a couple weeks ago. Um, How was it? (laughs) ounces per thousand. It, 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 It shut it down. I mean, it, it turned a little off color. It was only the second application too. So I didn't really gradually get into it. And I was just eager just to see what I could it, do. You just ramped it up. <laughs> yeah. But, I just like, I was like, let me you, see. When are you normally getting rust though? Uh, I haven't seen any this year. I, I got, uh, and last year I wasn't regulated. So I got rust. Um, it's probably like end of July was when it started. And then it just was like there. Consistently. Okay, that's that's earlier than I typically see it. I see it here September October time frame. That's the reason why I asked. Um, yeah, I, I honestly was really under fertilized. Yeah, I th- that's what I was going to say. I think just keeping your fertility levels good, you'll be you'll be <laughs> adequate at that point. Now, fall rolls around, and again, that's where you start getting into that timing thing, right? Like you know, uh, I'm either about to seed or whatever, and I'm I, I haven't fertilized since July. 
And uh, and so, you know, August, mid-August comes around. You're like, ah, shit, you know, there it is. But if you if you are seeding, or, or, then, you know, you're going to be applying fertilizer, right? Or you're not seeding, but now it's time for fall fertilizer anyway. So typically not an issue. Again, Russ is, is another one of those that I'll say 80% of the time, you know, you don't have to treat for. Yeah. Leaf spot. <clears throat> Leaf spot. Yeah, that was the one this spring. Another one of those is 80% of the time, you don't have to treat for either. The reason yeah. why you're usually seeing leaf spot is extended periods of cloud cover. Uh, so when I get three days of rain in a row, I can pretty much guarantee I'm going to start to see leaf spot in cool season lawns. Just no, no ifs, ands, buts are about it. I can guarantee it. And then if the sun comes out for three days continually, it's all grown out and gone. Now, it's gone. you've got yeah. a little bit of complexity there because you're going to be regulated through that time period, right? So if you see that in the forecast and it's going to bother you, then that is a time where you could consider that. As far as I'll bring that up as we continue to move through this. So you see that you want to be proactive about it. Strobilurin is going to be on the, on the more effective side and and Mm -hmm. great resources. You can type into the Google food, NC state, and then name your, your disease of choice. Right? So, um, and they have what they call the turf file. So leaf spot, chemical controls, they rate them on a, uh, on a plus symbol here. And uh, azoxystrobin yeah. is a four on the efficacy. I was going to see. Just they they actually integrated that. They integrated oh, really? created that into to Greenkeeper. So they have the stars for exactly what you're like uh, trying to control, um, which is pretty cool. So they um, do not list propiconazole by itself i was going to see if they did well they do i mean they have triticonazole right and that would be that would be just a straight dmi and again not not oh yeah here it is here's propiconazole uh two two out of four right so not the the greatest thing that that you could go for so that would be one of those times that you know do you want to keep a 32 ounce bottle of azoxystrobin on the on the shelf it probably wouldn't hurt you to have them yeah there you go those are the ones i have um, some, I had some Dacanol. I used it up, but, um, I have propiconazole and soxystrobin and I don't nope. really want to break the bank. And when we're talking about prioritizing and stuff, like I'm wondering, do I just go through another year of watching and not doing anything preventative? But I also, I, I'm, my biggest question is, am I gonna really get myself into a lot of trouble just being reactionary? No, chances are you're not. Again, this is another no. one of those, especially in your area. Eighty percent of the time, no, you're not going to get yourself into trouble. Now, I know up north, and this is outside of my area of experience, that grubs are a different animal up there. We don't deal with them at near the severity that y'all do. Ten properties out of four hundred, I'll come across grubs in the fall, uh, and and that's with no treatment down, not really a thing. May tells me it's like opposite where he is in Ohio, right? So 10 properties don't have grubs if they're not treated kind of sort of deal, right? That are actually causing damage in the fall. It's not 100% true, but, you know, I'm using that to show contrast with extremes. Um, I don't know about your area. If you don't have a history of it, I doubt all of a sudden this will be the season that's just going to come in and smoke you. Um, but if you know you have a history of it or you've seen it in your neighborhood, then by all means – you know, have at it, make that part of your, your regular program, then you can watch for the diseases. 
the big ones that could wipe you out and smoke you overnight, like Pythium, you're not really going to get into the favorable conditions for an extended period of time to, yeah. uh, to, to give you, the, you know, that kind of catastrophic damage. And even then, if you catch it early enough, and when I say early enough, say within a week, even though you may have widespread infection, you can apply something to at least get recovery by the end of the season, and you may have to do a little bit of spot seeding, but you're not going to have to reestablish the whole yard versus if you just let it go for the entirety of the time, you're going to end up having to replace a fair amount of sod, right? Um, would you let that this quick question would you let that area if you do have like a damaged area like that would you let that come out of regulation yes to help it recover yeah yes would you just yes take everything out of regulation or would you just I'd take it all sure out of regulation that? because it's going to look real goofy keeping one part of it under regulation another part not it's uh yeah. i don't know if you've ever seen i've seen a picture of i can't remember what professor was doing it but he was playing around with uh gibralic acid in uh in some uh yeah uh, spray plots Rise as up, he was right. walking out of his treated plots through the green to go put up his sprayer his feet were leaving footprints of gibberellic acid and you had like three inches of growth on green type <laughs> grass in <laughs> days right of, yeah. of just where you know that gibberellic acid so again you're talking about a gibberellic acid inhibitor right so um right. if you're if you're not treating an area you know, you're talking about a significant amount of growth in that area versus the rest of it. It's, it just, it's overcomplicating things that don't need to be complicated. Right. So, um, go ahead. Do, what, uh, no, you, you go ahead because I was going to ask about the next disease. Yeah, I mean, so uh, that was basically my main question when it comes to fungicide. I know we're running low on time. So, um, it's just, look, if, if I just am reactionary on this, is that really going to be another problem? Um, Cause I don't, I, I didn't know the answer to that question. And so I think that's probably my plan going ahead. I, I have it. Um, uh, I now have this wonderful resource called the discord where if I do run into trouble, you know, <laughs> I'll either ask you guys or I'll wait until the power hour where I can ask you and then probably forget about it by the next day. But um, so you don't I, normally have to deal with like dollar spot. That's never been an issue for you. It was, it was, it, but it was only like at the end of the season last year. Um, and my Smith Kearns dollar spot model, which I didn't realize what it meant at all. I still don't really know. Um, but I was on one of the zooms and I, and I was showing everybody like, this is what I got. I think Brent was the one who was like, yep, that's, that's freaking dollar spot a hundred percent. And I said, oh yeah, my, but my Smith Kearns dollar spot model says I'm only at 40%. And Demay was like, "That's like, as f- fucking high." <laughs> and so I was like, "Okay, all right." So it definitely is dollar spot, <laughs> but it was like, I yep. mean, it was not nothing, nothing like crazy. I didn't like. There were spots that I thought that were maybe like I dripped some gasoline or something when I was, but it wasn't. The, the, everyone has to establish a threshold to do this, and I think I think a, a big big issue that has honestly started on on youtube is like we were talking about overcomplicating things right like when i got started on youtube i wanted to talk about the complicated shit because that's what kept me awake at night and so when i'm talking to the camera i'm talking about the shit that keeps me awake at night so i'm not thinking about it anymore not thinking that people are actually going to see it 
and then and then you oh, know, have to deal with the down downstream effects of it, right? <laughs> or you know, same thing with with disease, right? We talk about being out there in the field and and showing, you know, oh, this is the most beautiful brown patch I've ever seen. It's the time to apply a fungicide, right? And like we're super hyped up about it, like oh yeah, here we go, it's go time. And then all of a sudden you start seeing people. It's like well. I don't know if I have any disease issues, but every 27 days, <laughs> I apply azoxytropin yeah. or propiconazole starting in yeah. April, and I end in October just to make sure. And it's like, wow, hang on. That was not – okay, okay. okay. <laughs> it's extreme, right? And like That's and, just a turnaround spot, man. Like, stop, like, destroying your own lawn. <laughs> like A common one I see fungus. is – is where and and this year actually hasn't been bad just because i only really pay attention to the discord and not the rest of the world out there when i used to pay attention to facebook and all that shit i'd get instagram's into, the worst into crazy spaces because you would be looking at pictures in the in the spring of a lawn that's eat up with poetriv and then in summer you're looking at the lawn eat up in disease when really it's just a bunch of poetriv going dormant right but they're so infatuated with this poetry of going dormant convinced it's disease it's i don't understand i've hit it with uh azoxystrobin i'm on my second app of it i think it's actually pythium so i'm going to apply uh, uh methanoxib now and then so now you're four weeks after the fact the the, the poetry has not just gone dormant it's flat out dead you can't see it anymore and they're like yep it was pythium the methanoxib killed it right and it's like <laughs> Okay, that's a wild way to get there. But I I genuinely, genuinely encourage you to take, to be reactionary, to develop some sort of trend line uh, that you can follow in the future going forward and try to see if you do start to have anomalies of disease with conditions that you could point at, right? Like here, I know... By the time May rolls around, May 15th to, to the end of May, I'm going to have five days consecutive of uh, 85 degrees during the day, 65 at night. It's going to happen just where I am in the south. And I know when I hit that, I have a guaranteed 100% probability of some of my cool season grasses are going to have brown patches. It's non-debatable. It is going to happen because I hit the perfect conditions we're always high relative humidity. If it's humidity is under 60% here, then, you know, people are like freaking out, you know, scrubbing with lotion and stuff. My, my wife swears she can't breathe when the humidity gets that low. So, you know, it's always high humidity. And, and so the conditions are 100% favorable for it. And, of course, you're going to end up finding it out there. So in that particular instance, I understand it because I've seen it over the course of three years, had my ass handed to me from getting literally – a hundred phone calls in a single day, in one single day, people begging me to get out their lawn because they have smoke rings in it, right? And you're like, oh shit, another one? And, and then you change your voicemail to say, I know you have brown patch and I will be out as soon as possible to treat it, right? And it's, <laughs> it's one of those learning curves that you go through and you're like, all right, I don't ever want to have to deal with that again. So now I'm going to I'm gonna make this part of my, my program, my, my fungicide program. I will establish a program to deal specifically with this. Now, not just the this the the region you're in, but the diseases that you have witnessed up to this point, under no circumstance ever. Uh, if that is ninety nine percent of the time for you, which I'm not going to say it is, but if that were to be, then under no circumstance would I ever have a fungicide program for your specific property. 
now it, and you, and again, get to, you also get the opportunity to learn right like i like the idea that i'm not I, i'm seeing what i'm susceptible to and like you know reacting to that as opposed to what you know some guy with fake teeth does on on his on youtube so i haven't <laughs> gotten them yet but uh i at some point i will have to and then i'll be the fake tooth guy no no uh, I, Yo, I probably I don't think Jake grind is talk- my teeth out of my head in my sleep because I have an ENT problem that's unaddressed that I don't I don't know about. But well, that's a, Jake, that's I know when exactly I go on your show, who we were talking about, uh, yeah. But at, yeah, but at the same time, what we always preach, you know, in our group, of course, is please be your own best friend. And, of course, by being your own best friend, what we're talking about is manage your water appropriately, manage your nutrients appropriately, manage your light as best as you can. And, of course, next one I always like to say is also manage your height of cut because your height of cut has an influence, of course, on watering you know water management and light management so be your own best friend in this case yeah you know know, it's funny because it's like it was such a perfect example last year is seeing like all this high cut turf like getting rust and absolutely zero rust on Mm -hmm. the low stuff but it was also better fertilized um Mm -hmm. but also seeing all the dollar spot on the low cut and no dollar spot whatsoever on the higher cut and like Again, this was a learning opportunity to see, okay, this is what really affects it. You know, like this in my specific situation, you know, who cares what these studies have shown? Like, I know now this is my study, (laughs) you know, it's an N of Mm -hmm. one, but uh, with something that is so highly variable, like that's going to be a better thing to react to. Um, And and that's been been huge for me. Um, uh, Quick. One other question I had for you guys, as far as yeah, we'll we'll keep rolling on this. Keep keep going. I don't want to. I'm having my fun. general, yeah. um, my general idea of making things less cumbersome. Um, Ray, you really helped me out with a tip to um, change my sprayer pump, um, upgrade it because um, I have the My Four Sons uh, sprayer, and they mm-hmm. have like all these opportunities of you can buy like every part that is there you can buy individually and you could upgrade the pump i there's a 100 psi pump and then the 160 mm-hmm. psi pump i bought the 160 they sent me the 100 so i emailed them mm-hmm. and i was like hey this is the <laughs> wrong one so they just sent me the 160 so i got the 100 and the 160 um which Damn. is very nice um and it actually came in handy because after like two uses the 160 broke so, um, <laughs> oops. Yeah. Um, who knows? It was probably my fault, but, um, I, I then went back to the, the hundred. So I had this nice, I, you know, spent so much time building a four nozzle, like wand boom to, to get my quadrant, not my trident, but, um, and, and was like running around the yard with it and, uh, only lasted twice. So now I'm down to two nozzles because there's just not enough flow um mm-hmm. and that's made there's it's made things um less cumbersome to have twice the width of spray 
um, and mm-hmm. have um, the, the flow to match that. So I'm doing basically um, my applications in half the time, um, maybe mm-hmm. a little bit more than half the time. But what I'm also realizing is like, while that is less cumbersome, spraying in general has become cumbersome a lot of times because I'm worried about, um, you know, making sure that my, that my passes are straight and I've got the right amount of overlap. And I like got as down into it where I was marking out like, you know, 40 inches and putting a freaking flag in the ground and just walking back and forth. Good. Um, That's literally the shit I had to do to learn how to do that. So that's great. So Mm -hmm. when do you graduate from that? Because I I, I did that once and it was great that that time I used it. And I'm like, okay, this is, I've got a general sense of, but like when you're messing around with chemicals. Yeah, go ahead. Here's what I, here's what I do. You know what? You keep on doing it until you develop the eye such that you can see the wetness of the spray on the grass from your previous pass. You just keep on doing it, and yeah. the you can do that with cataracts, me, man. I, I it took me about eight and a half impressed. million square feet to probably have that yeah. dialed in. Yeah, where I felt really. You, you good know, about Jake, it. my my eyes are basically totaled. I mean, I can't wait till I get to sixty six. <laughs> yeah, because I can't would wait. Would a polarized you know lens work? Uh, it would help, Kevin. Just it would probably yeah, help. Yeah. It would probably help you, but then. I know for me, what helps me is the fact that I basically have prescription lenses in these glasses that literally cost about $300. So, you know, it, it helps. But then my point is, is that if you can make your passes... And you can also like mark them off with flags or stakes so that you have an idea. And then you also pay attention now. Look at what the grass looks like. And that leads up to my next point about actually spraying now. When we're talking about doing something like fungicides or PGRs, if you have a hard time even seeing, you know, the liquid on the grass, what that actually means is that hey, there's an issue with your product coverage. Because, like, you know, when I'm spraying a lawn, I can always see, okay, this 60 inches is wet. This 60 inches is not. I can always see it. And that is because I'm getting the spray coverage. It's not random drops of liquid landing here and there and uh i'm not spraying and praying in other words right i'm actually getting the actual spray coverage (laughs) yeah i mean i I do so i'll I'll spray um with the single nozzle the ai xr 11006 um Mm -hmm. on its own and um with the new 100 psi pump it's like um, nice, and, isn't it? But even with even with that, like I, I have difficulty seeing 
where it's wet and where it's not. So maybe maybe the polarized glasses would help. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe I just need to go to the eye doctor. Who knows? Um, but <laughs> right now, what I've got is I've got the two uh, AIXR one ten zero fours, which when um, I tested them or put an app about um, it was a, it's supposed to be point four, but they're like point three six or something like that. So that's probably you think that's enough? You know Holy what? Crow. What that what that means is that your pump is barely able to supply the volume needed for those two tips running at once. Yeah. Because I'm guessing that you didn't have that problem when you had the 160 60 psi pump. I mean, it was able to supply those two nozzles adequately, right? Yeah, it was it was supplying four or no, I, yeah. I I, okay. I uh, calibrated it then too. It was actually at point four. It was doing well, and yeah. I had a so, little psi thing. Little gauge. thing, yeah. So yeah, that, maybe I need to <laughs> get an, an, another hundred sixty. See if it breaks in, into uh, two uses. See, just see, <laughs> just see, because what I suspect it is is that. You know, on AliExpress and whatever, I see hundreds of these kinds of pumps for sale. I mean, it's just such a common item. And the thing that, of course, always bugs me is the fact that this entire pump is made out of plastic. I mean, that's what just kind of gives me... some unease because as far as for me i'm always used to pumps being solid chunks of brass and stainless steel that's just (laughs) what i'm used to yeah yeah so i I did see like on some of those fancy um uh ben sims actually was probably the first time i saw it with like his spray rig as like a little foamer mm-hmm. thing at the end where you could see the mm-hmm. foam as you come back. Could you could you, you imagine know, doing that on like a on a Tif- spray wand? Tiffany Tif- Lawns just Good. linked me to this small foamer attachment that is, I guess, powered by a couple of AA batteries. And I was joking with him and I told him, you know what? Tiffway. I'm about ready to get one of those things and rig that up to my boom just for giggles. Hell yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, <laughs> I'm ready to do it because I do enough areas such that it is very possible for me to get lost in it because the areas that I'm doing have all of these little turns and twists right. in them so that it's easy to lose track. I mean, I, I would. That's uh, the. That's the other thing is, is, is especially with, with curves, like, I mean, my landscaping mm-hmm. is, is, is all curved, um, yeah. partially my own fault. And so like when you're coming through and you're, and you're doing these perfectly parallel passes and then you get to this curved area, like, uh, are you over spraying into the landscape bed and then maybe putting some, a new right on your flocks plants, you I, know, like, I don't, but, I don't, 
I don't. What I do. I always stopped short and then did a trim pass. I always, even with a trim pass, you still got the same, you still got a rectangular like spray, right? Like, or just. Yeah. yeah. So how how do you do that? What I do, Jake, is that I trim pass at least a couple of passes following the curve. And then I've trimmed out and then I go straight and I stop just inside of that trim pass area and I call it good. Spray the cutouts so you can make parallel passes. Yeah. Okay. I spray the I spray all the curves and all the their perimeter first and then I go back and forth. I mean, well, actually, Nat saw me do it. What the heck? Yep. <laughs> yep. Right? I've got it on video, Nat- but I'll never fucking share it. It's my secret. <laughs> I'll go to hell. <laughs> no, too late because uh, Robert be Palmer YouTube also has it. Robert, Robert already beat me to it. Uh, yeah, we, I, got it. <laughs> I sent uh, Jay Pink uh, this foamer here. I'll show it to you if you if you get a wild hair up your ass. Um, I don't know if this is the one that Tiffway found, but. I, this is designed to go on the back of a uh, of a spreader, but you could see how easy that would be to outfit to the ends of your boom to to drop a, a foam dot, right? Sick. Nothing crazy, Steve. I will whoop your ass too, along with Longfoot. In fact, I'll beat both you both of you at at the same time. I'm a big boy. Bring it on. We'll arm wrestle, and then I'll put you in both in a headlock. Um, but I think that would be easy. And back to the sunglass thing because I am extreme on sunglasses uh when it came to spraying lawns these are the two best lenses i have ever found for for lawns uh it is the the revo here and it's specifically these these evergreen lenses uh, and you can get them in whatever style you want this is just a random ass frame i love these evergreen lenses revo have some of the best lenses i have ever used uh and then the nice. other one is native eyewear and it's their reflex lenses um and uh, they've got different forms of, of the reflex lenses. Uh, the, the green reflex, in my opinion, has always been the best performer for grass. Uh, again, you can get those in whatever style they offer. In my opinion, those have been the two best that I have used um, personally. And when I spray lawns, I've worn natives for a long time. Uh, you can get the purple uh, reflex lenses that are actually almost identical in shade to the green ones. Um, and uh, I... I I kind of like those as well too, um, but anyway, the the reflex comes in a variety of colors: uh, brown, purple, green. Any and even though they look green, they're filtering a lot of the uh, the blues. You know, the like blue blockers as you used to hear. And uh, and anyway, in my opinion, that helped me see shit not just from a spray perspective, but even uh, uh, color manipulation that would be going on. I saw Gardner Earth guy was talking about going to a hydroponic store. And getting lenses there that you use, like when you're wa- walking around in a uh, a grow house, to be able to spot that variation in the leaves, uh, in order to be like, is that disease that's starting to onset there? Because I'm telling you, like a correct pair of sunglasses that match with your vision will let you see disease well in advance before the homeowner does, or in, in your case, before your neighbors do, or whatever else the case. Um, right. So, just something to keep in the in the back of your head. There. No, that's a that's like something I didn't even think about. Um, what a what a great idea! I mean, I'm already like training my eye to see wilt like that. I didn't even yeah, know yeah, yeah. what it looked like until. But yeah. I've heard I've heard that glasses can also help with 
with Wilt in spotting that. Um, yep. I'm a super nerd on that and have gone through a lot to get it figured out. And uh, for me, those two were the ones that were with me. Wood chopper, I, I'll chop your ass up too, buddy. I'll put you in a wood chipper. <laughs> wood chopper. <laughs> what else um, you got? One, uh, so with a new... Uh, recommendations on the label are to use a surfactant to improve your um, leaf coverage. Uh, however, it also recommends um, uh, leaving it on and allowing you know one to four hours for um, rain fastness. Um, and when I my experience with surfactants, and you leave it on, if there's like any amount of heat and sunlight, like I'm getting some toasty tips. Hell so. Yeah. Mm, what um, surfactant are you typically using? Just a high yield <laughs> bullshit. I don't know. It was like uh, like okay, ten bucks or something. High Cheap. yeah. High yield is probably, if I remember rightly, that's what they I'm call a spreader that. sticker uh-huh. type of a product, and that is where things are going interesting because. When somebody something calls for like a a regular surfactant, I'm looking at something that specifically says non-ionic spreader only, and like the generic name in the business is they call it either eighty twenty or ninety ten. Because yeah. the problem with a lot of these products that are sold in small quantities to consumers like the high yield product is that they contain various oils and resins in them that are not often compatible with turf grass that's that's where they you get into kind of like uh, issues because i still remember burning the fudge out of grass when i added something called new film pea to a spray solution. That was no bueno. Here's the other thing. What rate are you using? And I have no idea how it spells it out on that, but a lot of times what you're going to see it listed as is inclusion as like a percent gallon. of spray volume. Mm-hmm. It was like, yeah, it's like a pint per 100 gallons or something crazy like that. Or you, like and, pint per... So I just, I did like a, a cap full, like half an ounce the whole four gallon Whoa. tank or no Whoa. less than that okay. yeah, cap. yeah less than that it's, it's okay. a teeny little here's cap the, yeah no maybe like yeah, here's the here's the thing is that you know these uh when it says a pint per hundred gallons that's often that's like setting up all kinds of red flags for me because then that low of a rate suggests to me that what you're dealing with is one of those resin-based stickers and resin-based stickers often don't play very well with turf grass chemicals that's just my experience with them the only time i've ever safely used a resin-based sticker was when back in my old days i was applying high rates of mancozeb to turf because Mancozeb is one of those products where you have to get that stuff to stick to the turf grass leaves 
and not wash off even though you're irrigating. In that case, it's fine, but then you try to add that to a regular herbicide or other application, then there's something about that resin that just doesn't play well with your tank mix. Yeah. Um, so... the, in, in typically, I'll, like, I'll see it as a half a percent, you know, something like that mm-hmm. inclusion. And so, you know, general general math, you say you got four gallons, 128 ounces times half a percent, so times 0.005, uh, you know, two and a half ounces in a uh, in a four gallon backpack, right? So, um, and that and that's me assuming you're just using a non ionic surfactant. Um, the other thing you could do too uh, is, uh, and this is this is going to sound counterintuitive, uh, but um, a, a little bit of urea. Uh, added added to the tank uh, and i'm i'm not even saying enough to to register more than a tenth of a pound uh, but a little bit of urea you'll notice that will cut uh surface tension and and, and increase the using, dispersion across water of, of water across the leaf I've surface i've been buffering down with a little bit of ammonium sulfate okay actually you know what, everything you know what's the new with the new the new specifically calls out using ammonium sulfate in your tank mix so, if you have some, oh, oh no, we lost Ray. He, he got. He I got was going to be screen. real good. Blue screen to death. <laughs> um, oh, he's Wi-Fi. back. Ray's back. But anyway, here's here's the thing: is that you know, if you're using AMS, AMS also doesn't play well with resin-based products or oil-based products. So. What yeah. I'm thinking might be happening to you is it's just this product. You, yeah, you you may have an issue yeah. with the surfactant or spreader sticker that you're using being incompatible with the AMS because I've sprayed a lot of a new and I've never had burn or leaf tip uh, browning from that application. But then of course. I just have the plain, you know, ninety ten surfactant. That's not also a sticker. Yeah, and the, uh, and and the honestly, hard part. I've done like four or five different applications now between the back and the front, and only one of the times I used this surfactant, and that was the only time I ever got any sort of burn. So yeah, if um, if you've got AMS in there, that's probably going to be good enough. Like if you if you've yeah. ever. Um, you know, put a decent concentration of nitrogen dissolved in water and felt it on your fingers. It gets a slippery, oily feeling, right? And it's a slippery, sticky. Yeah. And I'm I'm looking up the the ingredients in the uh, in the high yield, and you know, it's a lot of uh, in the in the surfactant industry. You try to hide what you're actually using, right? Uh, and so you have an alkyl phenol yeah. ethoxylate, right? Which is is a general term for uh, a uh, a class of surfactant right of a of a non-ionic surfactant Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of different ais that actually could be the other one is going to be an alcohol ethoxylate which is uh it could be sodium lauryl sulfate it could be polysorbate 80 you know there's there's a lot of different classifications that it could be so it's not specifically saying what that is and a lot of times what that tells me that that is is that it depends on what they're able to get in bulk for a decent price that's going to play with whatever else they're adding to it. Right. And so sometimes that's going to be sodium lauryl sulfate. Sometimes that may be ammonium lauryl sulfate and they've just got to, you know, swing the dice on it. 
And now you're talking about two wildly, well, not wildly different, but two different responses that could happen as a downstream effect. And because it's going into a 32-ounce or 8-ounce or 12-ounce container to be sold in bulk through Home Depot or wherever, it's not going to be enough of a difference for the average person to be able to see the difference. I will fight all of you in a cage match, Elon versus Zuckerberg style. Uh, Someone called Dana White, set it up, and uh, I'll whoop all your asses because I can. It's at least my ego talking. Um, right. yeah, but, beg my wife to help me help me sweetheart i'm hurt uh but i think yeah seriously though it could well be the property of the surfactant because i've also seen these consumer products as i say have various resins and oils in them and when we're talking about ams never ever combine ams with an oil unless you intend to fry something yeah and just putting it i'm just putting it out there <laughs> unless it's your purpose you know don't <laughs> so uh, along the those same lines um what i have noticed has been super helpful uh, by the way this is like the the highest grossing last 20 minutes ever there in competition yeah. <laughs> uh, i'm loving it <laughs> Um, is that I, my uh, my mower with is like perfect for my sprayer so like if I do double doubles like that's mm-hmm. my perfect line to, to run go back and forth on um, mm-hmm. but you know I know there are some labels that specify like for speed zone or something like that or sedge hammer or most mostly honestly what I've seen is on the herbicides um of not mowing before um, applying like a day or two. Um, okay. Are there other products outside of maybe the herbicides that you don't want to apply right after mowing? And is a new one of them? A new is actually, it, it depends because if you're mowing and you're not causing any kind of scalping, tearing or damage, then you can go ahead and apply it because let me let you in on something, Jake. I have literally PGR lawns immediately after I'm done mowing them. I've done it. But that is with the caveat that I am not tearing up or damaging the lawn in the process of mowing them. So right. if you are not making it so that the lawn is torn up or damaged, you can go ahead and send that PGR after you're done mowing to hopefully lock in, you know, that height of cut that you just achieved. You know, you're fine to do that. There's no issue. Okay. I'll be honest with you. I don't like applying shit right after mowing. I don't don't like applying (laughs) shit and mowing. Yeah. But even... And I and I don't most days, but uh, even even when I did, I uh, I it's a thing I have, and the reason why, and this is purely anecdotal, and again another one of those uh, weird head things I have. Uh, it, D. Coleman, eat a dick, uh, Lushy. I I I will literally I will fuck you up, and Jesse. I, I'm not gonna fight you because you're a big boy, uh, but. 
but I've got about 12 inches on you. So I don't know. We might have to swing, swing for each other. Anyway. Oh, no. but, yeah, I'll put a boot in your chest there because that's my, my waist comes up to about your word. chest. There's my, there's my short joke of the day. Sorry, Jesse. I'm sorry. Um, but the, uh, and, and it, I would get into situations in, in lawn care where, uh, I, sh- I show up and the mowing guy's there and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to get this lawn done today. And then I make my application immediately after they're done mowing. And I swear to God, I lose efficacy, whether it's herbicide or fungicide, I swear I would lose efficacy. I don't know why I don't, I don't even know if it's reality it could totally be placebo, but it was yeah. always a thing I had and I would wait until the next day. And, uh, and it was, it was always better, at least from my perspective. Matt. Okay. Uh, it also depends on how the grass is even mowed. That's I'd the other cut, thing too. Sure. I'd have cut and what condition the grass is in after it's mowed. Because like, you know, in my days previous when I never mowed the lawns that I treated and somebody else was doing the, the mowing. It was policy for me never to apply anything to the lawn the day of or the day after the mowing crew showed up. And that, and the reason why is many fold because unfortunately my mowing guys were not nice. They were savages, okay? They yeah. were absolute savages. So I'd like to think I'm probably get a little bit better than that you know like you know what, I, yeah what you know, is your keep, mowing keep frequency what what is it now yeah and, well i forget you're under holy regulation as well too yeah. so it's it's great though i'm so i mean I, last year the front was mowed every day every other day um at about an inch uh three quarters mm-hmm. I tried to push down to three quarters a couple times uh this year i started at three quarters again and it's just like with the rotor roller like i on a slope like i i just unless i'm going straight up and down like i i scalp and so um i i will say like i had just scalped the shit out of it um because i wasn't being really diligent about it and uh i was trying to go at three quarters of an inch that was also when i saw some some burn happening there with but i, I still do think it's probably the high yield bullshit um so yeah my, now my mowing frequency is um on the back, like, you know, twice a week. Front is maybe three times a week. Maybe. I last I mowed today. Last time I mowed was Father's Day on Sunday. And I took off, like, a quarter of a bag off 2,000 square feet. So it's in full, full regulation now. Yeah. And so and the, the other piece of that is, uh, you know, the, the more you cut off the plant, you know, the more shock you're going to put it under, right? And then the, the, the less... Activities is going to be taking place, right? So you shock it. It's not going to immediately be growing and, uh, and it will eventually, right? Like, and when it does, it'll start going really vigorously. Um, but I don't know. I feel like there's something with the timing of those applications. Now at your mowing frequency, I'd say you could pretty much take what I said, ball it up and throw it right out of your window and act like I never said it. Uh, but for other people that are on a once a week schedule that are not wholly regulated, um, then I would put space between the time at which you cut and, and Aaron, 
Eric, that's actually funny. I know somewhere between forty to fifty hertz. That is, <laughs> I would I would oh, beat your ass, <laughs> my startup bro. But that one made me laugh, so I'll I'll, I'll let you get by. Uh, yeah. What else? Um, um, I think what else is next time? I'm just gonna start throwing questions at you guys because I've got so many of them. No, keep going. Um, keep going. Fuck it. We're, going. we're gonna skip the after show tonight because Demay's gone, and I don't. I don't like watching YouTube videos like to try to build show prep for an after show. So fuck it. We'll do it live, as Bill O'Reilly said. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, one other thing that I've changed is the frequency of how often I'm sharpening my mower blade. Before I was taking it off every single time. Before every <laughs> mow, and just getting a fucking razor sharp edge on it. I mean, it took like two minutes. It wasn't that long. Like you just put a couple passes. And so now I, I realized I was like, that's probably a little bit of overkill. Um, you know, but I was trying to manage it at three quarters of an inch with it, with a rotary mower. So um, <laughs> I thought that would probably be the best bet. Um, what are we thinking this or is a more reasonable amount of time to go between i'd probably tell you actually i'd I'd go a little bit less than that i'm thinking like maybe if i wanted to put a number on it like every 10 hours of use okay you know that that's uh that's my thought i mean 10 hours of use and i also have to consider the idea that you are not mowing gnarly grass. Yeah, it's you're mowing nice, fine-bladed grass. <laughs> yeah, you're you're dealing with nice, cool-season grass because I tell you, uh, should I be relocated away from the tropics? I'm gonna want a shortcut KBG lawn. <laughs> Seriously, okay, Jake. I'm I'm gonna want that low low cut KBG lawn. <laughs> you know but, what's funny because Demay had talked about like low cut KBG and saying that like under an inch is like a nightmare. Um, mm-hmm. and in my mind, I was like, that was the whole idea of potentially going to a real mower was that like I could get it even lower, you know. Um, but if, well, if even, if even it's like with a real mower, is, is it going to be a nightmare? Actually, here's the difference. The reality is, is that should you go to a real mower, it's going to tear up and traumatize the grass even less. Yeah. Because remember what I thought about that rotary mower, even though it's a nice one. Yeah. I have my Mass I have my reservations. Yeah, I you know I have my reservations about it because the reality is is that once you try to get that rotary mower to mow below say an inch and a half, it's a lot more stressful on the turf versus a real mower, say mowing at three quarters of an inch. You see, I don't consider a real mower a horrible thing at three quarters of an inch, for example. I don't. I mean, to me, that's like high. That's a high cut. 
and to be perfectly honest, like when when I'm really focused and I'm putting the mm-hmm. right amount of pressure and making sure it's not scalping and I'm going straight up and down, like I was keeping it at three quarters of an inch and it looked phenomenal. Um, yeah. and there was really no scalp marks and it was, but like, it takes so much mental energy and focus. And yeah, I'm like, this is what I was going to say. The, the difference there is that with the real mower, you don't have to consider any of that. It's just like, all right, I'm going to mow the grass <laughs> versus with it, the rotary. It you're at the mercy of any undulation you have in your lawn. And it's, and it's like, can I predict where everyone is going to be this time of year or whatever the case may be? Yeah. You see the, because, and that's kind of where I, I'm looking at the, you know, the pictures that I remember of your lawn and I'd be so tempted to throw something like a cal trimmer on it, or if not a cal trimmer, Jake, I would have a specially modified GM 1000 on that lawn at about five eighths to three quarters of an inch, and I just have at it. Yeah. And you know what that would do? That's not, that wouldn't have a flex head though, right? With the... no, 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 Jake. That would have that would be the fixed head mower. And the other thing that I would tell you about it is that you then watch me mow that one handed. Okay, that would be, be nice. Be behi- <laughs> no, I'd be, be behind nice. that GM one thousand, one handed most of the time. I can and, handle and, and the know- slope too, because like honestly, yes. pushing that thing is so heavy, and I mean, I'm basically pushing it up the hill. <laughs> like, okay, it, the-, the only other modification that I'd make to that GM one thousand is I'd attach rubber traction to the aluminum drum behind it okay. that way the, can climb hills and it, save it, my freaking and, driveway because i've been tearing that shit up too <laughs> yeah exactly i have a john deere 220e it's it's a floating head have no issues with it whatsoever and it does it does wonderful um you know if you if you're choosing between toro or john you're not gonna go wrong like you know it's one of those that you're you're for a little while, you're going to think to yourself that, oh, am I missing something out by trying it? And then you try it, and you're like, no. Well, I, I got to tell you. What color do you like better? <laughs> well, because I got to tell you, I had hesitations about having a GM1000. And then when I started using it, uh, I wondered, why don't everybody else have these? Because my experience is, is that every single lawn guy in Hawaii thinks his dick is big because he has a true cut. <laughs> but. We know what they say about the, trucks with big wheels on them. <laughs> but the thing is, is that. Jesse B's driving. I can, t- no, I can <laughs> tell. Sorry, Jesse. What lawn has been mowed by a true cut because of how not smooth that grass is i can tell yeah but then do the same lawn with the gm 1000 for example you know that is something yeah okay that is something. Um, you know and I, I, guys this is this is such great data and uh, i'm going to be sure to clip this out and show this to wife nose and turf um mm-hmm. that i do need to spend four thousand dollars 
on this used oh, mower. <laughs> get a, get you, you, you can find a used one with a better deal. It might require a little bit of work, but um, it, it, you know, a lot of times, like you would be shocked. You probably don't even need to have to put a new, a new reel on it. Just back lap it. I'm going to say this colloquially, backlap the shit out of it, but do not do a nick and backlap it for six hours to to grind out an imperfection in the reel. I was joking when I said that, and uh, it he actually did because, that. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you forget on average, what people are going to take seriously. Yeah, yeah because, because Jake... You did what? On average, my backlap time for my mower is literally measured in like Longest I've had it backlap for is literally two minutes. Okay, oh, I've that's as long as I've had that. No, for me it's two minutes. I mean, if it needs more than two minutes, then it needs more than a backlap, and that's just it. And that is just like a kind of a good rule to follow with these real mowers is that if you need to backlap longer than a few minutes, then there are issues to address. Period. Yeah. You know, but, uh, one of the things, though, when it comes to making the decision between going lower and uh-huh. and getting a, a real mower is that, like, am I a color whore or a texture whore? And mm. I just cannot decide because I see my side uh, lawn literally right next to my front lawn, and it mm. is, like, ten shades darker um, because it is an inch and a half taller or not okay. even an inch taller you know and jake you know, and, but you know like the, the con- texture is so nice on the other one so what do you do yeah, yeah. the confounding factor though is my experience is, is that trying to make a rotary more mow lower does something not so nice to the grass texture and color itself especially the color it tends to shred the grass up no matter how sharp you have the blade and I'll, I mean, be, just... I'll be a, a John Deere 220E simp for a moment, uh, is that, mm. you know, you have the flexibility to go to higher heights of cut as well, too. So yes. if you want to take it to an inch of a quarter and still have that beautiful texture and color, then, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you can you can achieve that the duality. So, yeah, that is that it, Matt, that is not not a wrong thing, because I know for a fact that on that hybrid drive more, it's a matter of readjusting the real speed to match yep. the higher height of cut ah of course it's a little dial you can adjust your clip speed right on the back mm-hmm. of the mower in real time mm-hmm. and you know raise it you're good to go yeah and then throw on an eight blade reel which is not expensive eight blade reels are less expensive than 11 or 14 blade reels and then Let's have do. it yeah calibrated for that higher height of cut and you can do great things of course i have the gm 1000 and toro's way of dealing with that is they make you do certain fixed modifications to the mower itself like a different bed bar and a different pulley set that's driving the reel but once you do that that mower becomes a monster or cutting grass between three-eighths of an inch all the way up to about seven-eighths of an inch. It becomes a monster mower. So there's ways to do it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's yeah. a perfect excuse to 
not get rid of the Rotorola so I can just add to my collection and mm-hmm. I'll just use the Rotorola for the side and the back and I'll use the, Chuck the, brings the up green, a green machine too. for the front. Dealing, dealing with debris when real mowing is a thing. Uh, now, mm-hmm. there are just white trash ass people out there like me uh, that just says, screw it. I'm going to I'm going to go at it. And uh, so mm-hmm. that's how I typically handle it now like a bunch of leaf litter or something on the lawn like that. Yeah. You, you know, it, it's going to interrupt your, your cut quality pretty good, but, um, you know, <laughs> for a, eh, you got a stick here or there to hell with it. Bah! Gone. I'd just like to say, you know, uh, I just saw, you know, rotary at a low cut is a bad idea. Generally. Yes. The, the yeah. rotor roll is a, an exception, exceptional machine and has done yeah. very well. It is different, you know, that as long as I'm focused, yeah. you know, however, um, and here, here's what I'm going to tell you is that I would never advise somebody that already has that kind of a mower to, that they have to get rid of it because the way I do tell you to handle this is you use that rotary mower set at about like say inch and inch and a half or so to suck up and dispose of all of the sticks and the leaves. And then your finish passes with the greens mower for that final smooth cut. That's yeah. basically how I how I do it. And of course, when you're mowing higher, you don't have to worry about the blade digging into the ground. You're just yeah. using that mower to take up whatever trash is on the lawn. Yeah. And honestly, even at the at the one inch height, like Mm -hmm. I it doesn't dig in. And it it does have really, really good suction to it, enough to suck Mm -hmm. up literally every every little piece of uh, polycoat urea that I had put down. Oh man. Oops. (laughs) Oops. I mean that that's just I was like, uh... you know what, let me try bagging for once and seeing what bagging on the backyard looks like. And I like looked into the bag and I was like, oh, there's just little blue pellets everywhere. Ooh. (laughs) Yeah. That was not in the I mean you see, Jake, that is like the other thing that I need to like alert people to is that your conventional lawn fertilizers are literally intended for high-cut mulch mode lawns. When you're mowing right. lower, your selection or choice of fertilizer becomes critical. You know, because again, yeah. if you're not careful, oh, I got another one for you. What happens if instead of this mower just picking up these little blue pellets? The mower cuts all of those blue pellets open. Yeah, and that's then exactly what, what happened. Because I, <laughs> I normally don't bag, I don't bag yeah. uh, on the back and the side, and so that's pretty much what I'm guessing happened all of last year. Was <laughs> like that, you know, big old dose that I thought was going to last me 90 days, probably did not last me 90 days. <laughs> I got all cut up. Those those little pearls were all cut up and spread out through the lawn. Gave myself Open. a nice huge dose of nitrogen. It's like, oh, I got a real bad spring flush this year. Oh yeah, yeah. You see, because again, you know, when somebody is talking about grass that is maintained at about an inch or lower, your entire you know fertilizer management program is different. 
it's not the same anymore. I mean, that's when you're talking about your fertilizer program being something like AMS or Nestle urea type fertilizers because Nestle urea does not have a coating that is affected by it being cut. Nestle urea yeah. is dependent on release by bacterial action in the soil, not because it's diffusing through an osmotic coating. So, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I uh, <laughs> after I noticed that, I, I gave uh, the rest of the bag to a neighbor. I was like, hey, I, you can use this. I spent ninety dollars <laughs> on it, but whatever. It's just it's a waste <laughs> now for me. <laughs> um, yeah. Now I'm just gonna throw the Max or G down because I know that's gonna last me a lot longer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just don't don't stripe your lawn with it. I've seen enough stripe lawns this year. To, <laughs> it, it's a thing this year. I don't I, know what it is, but I've never seen as many stripe lawns as I have this year. It's crazy. What what's wrong with people, Matt? What's wrong? I mean, I, I, I don't know. Um, shout out to Gardner, Gardner Earth Guy. We were not able to connect when I was in Florida this last week, but I'll be down there here in a couple of weeks. But uh, um, and we are going to get together. We'll, we're, we will ride around and document all the stripe lawns we see because uh, I was just on this one street. I counted four, four stripe lawns, Bermuda grass, centipede, zoysia. One street. Mm-hmm all striped and i was like it's either the same dumbass that did all of that which i don't think it was i think it was all homeowners that did it and uh, i i think i think they just all foobarred it you know honestly i the quality of like homeowner spreaders i've realized is just shit i don't have a a professional spreader um but i can imagine it's got to be a lot better because even like i have the scott's elite um, which is like a hundred and some odd dollar spreader. Um, oh, is that? It sucks ass. <laughs> oh man! It didn't, you know, I mean, it's it's like it's plastic. It's plastic. The whole thing's plastic, and it and it like um, you know, it's funny. I was like just realizing when I was using the dial. If you go all the way up, it's not actually going all the way up. Like it's not actually opening as much as it's supposed to. And so I was like, how can this be calibrated appropriately? Um, you know, those, those little slot, there's two of them, which I wish they would have just had one. Cause one of them will like stay open because it gets caught on like a, a prill, um, yeah. you know, or like they're not opening fully because there's just a little too much friction. And I'm like, man, this, this, it sucks <laughs> you know the only thing i can do is put it on like a, the lowest setting that i can see fertilizer coming out and just go back and forth in every freaking different direction you know which put that put that on facebook marketplace and i guarantee <laughs> you you can find alesco on facebook marketplace or ebay somewhere around your area that someone would just want to get rid of and you probably have to put a new paddle on it a uh, new impeller and you know maybe uh, uh, some work on a tire or something and you'll get it yeah. for 40, 50 bucks and you've got a $400 spreader. And once you spread with one of those, like I've, I've picked up a Scott's elite to, to just touch and see and feel uh, at one of the big box stores. And I was like, that is embarrassing. Like it is, it, 
it is is a clown a clown toy is what it is and i'm i'm not saying it to slay you i'm just saying that no once you feel a lesco it's you they're not even in the same class like one actually feels like a tool the other one feels like a tonka toy in comparison so yeah Darn, because I mean, it's definitely an upgrade from the scott's mini but you know, yeah. I, I gotta be honest with you guys. I have not pushed a spreader in decades. I honestly haven't done it. Yeah, because because I spreader today. no, the the truth is is that the last time I had to run something granular, I blew those damn granules. Fifty pounds. Oh yeah, like out of a backpack. Fifty pounds in a couple minutes or less. I mean, I just staged bags, and as the hopper emptied, oh, refill that uh, hopper, and then blow it, and I had like about a couple acres covered in an hour or less. What what tool is this that you're talking about? It is a blower, <laughs> backpack blower, right, that you would blow leaves with, but outfit yeah. to be able to just blow granules. It's got like a hopper on on oh. what the the uh, so think about handle? like a, a mosquito fogger right yeah 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 I, I it's it's a mosquito fogger so where you would normally keep your uh, uh pesticide uh, liquid you yeah have your, your oh, granules oh in the okay and yeah. there's an adjustable gate at the bottom of the tank to where I can have it fully open or just a couple ounces of granules flowing at a time. And anywhere in between. But like I said, I've used that for spreading granules. And it is, as I said, it's a different experience, yeah. to say the least. Yeah. But uh, I think that'll, benefit- that'll be my, my dream, uh, the, my, my, the- my goal eventually. <laughs> But I'll, I'll go and for the, the $40 used Lesko spreader first. Yeah, but, but the thing is, is that, of course, commercially, it's a bit of a convenience for me because anything that, like, falls over into the sidewalk or the driveway, just shut the gate oh. on the granules, blow off my my overflow, and move on. So yeah. it works out. <laughs> yeah. It works that, out. That, uh, yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a toy that I really want. <laughs> All right. Well, it's 1123. <laughs> we'll call this at 1130. Last question. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I don't have any more questions. I want to say thank you guys. Um, I think that this has been an incredible year of learning. Um, and it would have never happened if um, you guys didn't open the door to let people in. Um, I'm genuinely a shy person, um, do not normally like getting on, you know, um, zooms or, or, or even typing in chats and, um, you've created a a culture, an environment where people feel like they can contribute and be a part of it. And it's welcoming and, uh, it's made a hell of a difference for me, uh, to have a hobby that comes with, um, a group of friends. So, thank you guys. Oh, th- wow. thank you, Jake, uh, because uh, we appreciate the company. 
you know we we just appreciate the company and uh are you are you, you going to mobile this year i don't think so okay mm. um it's gonna be a tough one i'm on a, a tough rotation at the time this guy's so. a just... fucking weirdo okay. <laughs> Fuck you, <JP. laughs> don't don't worry we will we will accost you again and uh we'll lock arms and accost the rest of the world uh seriously yeah. <laughs> thank you the, the kind words were incredible and uh makes doing this all worthwhile uh love you sir love you ray gentlemen you boys everyone else out there good night, night. everybody bye